Children's Church, if you can head to the back. For everybody else, if you can, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. We're going to be beginning today in verse 25. We've finished kind of our romp through the Psalms for the year as the year begins to come to a close. And now, in regards to this time of year and the season of celebration, we're going to be taking a look. Uh, One of the common themes that is always proposed to us at this time of year, in Isaiah, as he prophesied about the coming Messiah, he named him, he said, he's coming. He is going to be our wonderful counselor, our eternal father, our mighty God, and our prince of peace. And it's that same prince of peace which we've looked at in the past, which every year we um, observe many churches as they work through uh, a liturgy leading up uh, through Advent. They look at peace and hope and joy and love. I began to kind of study into those, and really I, I couldn't even get past peace because there's so much there for us to look at. There's so much there that we are in need of fully grasping and fully understanding. And as I tried to pack all of that into one sermon, it was like trying to drink water from a garden hose, and I began to just drown in it, and it it poured out from me. And I realized that just we needed to slow down and take it bite by bite. Peace or shalom or irony, that is what uh, the... Old Testament and the New used to describe this word. Shalom is the Old Testament, the Hebrew version of it. And it can mean a a joining together. It can mean a a peace, a lack of disturbance, a lack of war, a separation from these things. Um, It's through the word of peace that Christ calmed the raging seas. It's through shalom that God brought Israel to a state like the kings that he kept appointing all throughout the Old Testament. They were to lead their people in shalom and in peace, and yet over and over again failed in that task. The Greek word we have for that, what, the, um, what Jesus and others spoke, it was called irony, uh, irony, irony. And what this word can mean is the same thing. It's just the, the Greek version of that. It is shalom. It is peace. And yet it is separated from all these issues, but it is not just separate from war, not just the opposite of it, but there's something fulfilled within that. Anytime in the Old Testament when two nations came to shalom, when they had been at war and they came to shalom, they came to peace, it was not just a peace where there was an absence of war, it was a peace where now they were working together, joined together, and functioning in harmony. And that's the same peace that is taught and and spoke of over 90 times throughout the New Testament. Paul teaches about it any time that he writes to the churches, he tells them, you know, grace to you and peace be among you, peace to you. So it, it can be a peace among on a national level. It can be a peace that is uh, interpersonal between one another. Uh, Paul writes it with it between the churches that they would be in peace, in wholeness, in unity, in harmony together. And it's also a peace that Christ has provided between us and God so that we may be joined together and in harmony 
and that we would be made whole. Oftentimes after Jesus would heal people, he would tell them, go in peace, go in wholeness, go in harmony, because everything has been set right. And so as I begin to look at all these different ways that it functions, all the different meanings, all the different things that we need to come to understand right here and now as we walk this earth, like the examples we can look back on, something I came across was in Luke chapter 2, 25 through 35, and it is about the peace that is received by this man, this prophet. And that's what we're going to look at today. Pray with me first as we begin. Father God, I pray you would open our eyes to the message in the text today. God, not one that would give me the words to fill up the time for a sermon, one, but God, but one that would sit upon our hearts, God, that would reveal yourself to us, that would impassion us and give us a purpose and a healing that we so desperately need. God, your word fulfills the cracks and the crevices that our broken hearts and our broken souls have. God, you make us whole. You bring us peace. You do that through your word and through your son and through your presence. So God, let us honor you today. Let us uh, just take in what you would have for us from this text, God. Let us look at the faithful representatives that we have in your word. God, let us take it and apply it to our lives, God, and live it out each and every day. It is in Jesus' name. Amen. So this passage is about a man called Simeon. So join with me in verse 25. It says, There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, he praised God, and he said, Now, Master, as you, you now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace, as you promised, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him, about Jesus. And then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary he prophesied to her. He said, indeed, <clears throat> indeed this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed and a sword will pierce your own soul that the thoughts of many hearts may be. And so, who is this man? Because anytime we start looking at the Christmas story or at the narrative of Christmas or at this time of year, the, a young Jesus, we always talk about all these different things. Even the sheep and the shepherds, like they get more play into the story than Simeon does. And yet, here we see a man who is distinctly set apart by God for a purpose, given a promise, and he played a, a, just such a small role in the life of Christ 
in, in the Bible itself, and yet it is still here for us today. So let's take a look at this. Who was this man, Simeon? Like many of the people that contributed to the works of the kingdom, to the building of God's purpose and of his mission and the redemptive story of Christ coming to earth. Uh, we see you know, little names sprinkled throughout the epistles that Paul writes about, all these different people that contributed and played a role in such a way. And here we just get 10, 10 small verses. And yet they are so significant that we cannot pass them up Every word that God has spoken is precious and is for our benefit, and we see it here now. So who was this man named Simeon? Oh, we can take a couple things from this small passage of text and begin to understand him a little bit further. Age-wise, we have to take from the context of the word that like he was an older gentleman. Uh, he would have been an older man uh, because God had promised him, like, you would not see death until you saw the Messiah come. 20-year-olds aren't worried about when God's gonna send them death, right? This is a, an older thing, and even later on, like after, even in his own words, after he recognizes that like God's promise to him has been fulfilled, Simeon says, like, you can dismiss your servant. Again, it's not some 20 or 30, like it is a, an older gentleman who's saying, like, now I can be dismissed. I can be released from this life, God, because you have kept your word. And so he talks about all these things. So what we would see here is an older gentleman coming into the temple. He would have a long white beard because in, under Mosaic law, um, you were not uh, supposed to trim the corners of your beard. So you'd have a long beard plus age, it would be white. So here we have the most redeemable version of Santa that we can possibly bring into the Christmas story right here. Just a old white Jewish man, possibly portly. I'm not gonna make that judgment, but here he is and he's in a good mood so we can say he's jolly. And yet, so Santa has been redeemed. We just need to call him Simeon. He is described by his inner self. So we make these assumptions, rightly so, about his appearance, but he is mainly described in the text by his inner self, by what God sees, not by what man sees. And so we catch a glimpse of this. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. So looking through heaven's eyes, we see a man who was righteous and devout. Righteous in the sense that he was innocent under the law. Not innocent, not perfect, not Christ himself walking before his time. But he was righteous according to the law. He followed it to a T. And we see that also in his being um, expressed as devout. Devout meaning one who is cautious, one who is God-fearing. He held God as sacred and holy, and he lived according to that. So he was innocent under the law. He feared God as he tiptoed through life in awe and wonder of him, holding him and his word and his law sacred. And he was one who held on to God's promises. He was looking forward to Israel's consolation. It had been written about Many times throughout the Old Testament, it had been prophesied about, it had been promised over and over again. So he was one who was dependent upon God's word. He was looking forward to the Israel's consolation. What is that? Uh, it's the, the consolation is the answering 
of a cry of, for help. It is a comfort, and that was going to be the Messiah. That was going to be Jesus. And so if you look in verses 25, 26, and 27, we start catching a glimpse. In 25, he said the Holy Spirit was on him. So far in the New Testament, or, or in the story of Luke, that in his testimony, so far we've seen the Spirit is in John the Baptist as he has been prophesied about as he has come earlier in chapter 1. Uh, many people have witnessed this. They understand the truth. Uh, verse 65, fear came on all those who lived around them. And all these things were being talked about through all the country of Judea. All who heard about him took it to heart saying, what then will this child become? For indeed the Lord's hand was on him. Even in the womb, the spirit was making John jump for joy at the coming of Christ. And so here too, we see the spirit indwelling upon someone on the earth. So the Holy Spirit was on him. And in verse 26, it said, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. So again, we see the Holy Spirit is not just upon him, but the Holy Spirit is revealing things to him. And Simeon is listening and he is trusting in what the Spirit is saying. And then in verse 27, it says, guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and spoke. So he was guided by the Spirit. So again, not just that the Spirit was upon him, not just that the Spirit was revealing things to him, that he was listening and trusting in them, but when the Spirit was leading him, he was following and he was obeying. What a faithful, faithful representative that we have. And so in verses 28 through 32, we see his prophecy fulfilled. We don't know how long that he had been holding on to this. It doesn't say what the time frame was, but it could have been years or centuries or decades, like not centuries, years or decades. Like he had lived with this promise in his heart, not just from what God's word had already said. He was trusting in God's word, but through God's word, the Holy Spirit revealed to him that he would not see death. He himself would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah, before he would lay eyes on the Messiah himself. And so what we see now in verse 28 or in verse 29 is this old white Jewish man. Uh, sorry, yeah, white bearded Jewish man. Old white bearded Jewish man come be bopping into the temple, guided by the Holy Spirit and just snatch up this baby <laughs> who is there for the circumcision and the ceremony. Like, But he comes in and he's like, Hey, so it'd be the equivalent of you being in the back of church, you holding your child, and some guy with a big white beard coming in and being, hey, can I hold that? And you'd be like, well, I don't know. I don't know if I can, I don't know if I want to hand you my child. But he does, he takes this child, and he holds him up, praised God, and said, now, master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised for my eyes have seen your salvation and you have prepared it in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. Now what we get into here 
are a couple things that I really want to touch on because what he says is not just an answer to the prophecy that God had already promised him that he would see come to fruition, but it is also a prophesying and something that is uh, drastically important that is not mentioned up until this point in the New Testament. So we see here, my eyes have seen your salvation. Yes, like that was the purpose and the intent of the coming Messiah. He recognized Christ as who he was, even in this form of a little child. He saw the Messiah. He saw the king. He saw the one who would redeem all of Israel, all of God's people, just as the Old Testament had promised. But he goes even a step further than that. Guided by the Holy Spirit, it is revealed to him, and he tells us, and it witnesses it to Mary and to Joseph there, then and there, that he will be a light for revelation to the Gentiles. And glory to your people, Israel. Now, later on, Paul writes in Romans, leading back all the way to Hosea, like this was already prophesied about, that the people that you don't call your people will become your people. You will call them yours. You will call them blessed children. And that, so Paul reveals to us kind of that even in the Old Testament, this had been spoken about. But up until this point in the New Testament, he has not spoken about that the Gentiles too would be grafted in, that Jesus was going to be made available to the whole world, both Jew and Gentile. And that is a blessing and a truth that we get to enjoy and experience even today because, I don't know, maybe we should all do that genealogy test that you can do online, but for the most part, I don't know many of us that have a Jewish heritage here in this area. Like, we are grafted in because God has made himself available to the whole world through Jesus Christ. And so that promise gets, the seed of that understanding gets planted right here and early on in Christ's life. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation. You've prepared it in the presence of all peoples. As a truth that, again, we get to experience today as we have God's word, have we seen the church and, and the testimony of Christ here on this earth through centuries up until this point? But I want to back up just for a minute and look at verse 29 because this is what really drew me to this passage today. As I was studying peace, all the different ways that it manifests, all the different ways that we need it in our lives, it says, now, Master, calling out to God, understanding his place. Uh, you can dismiss your servant. You can dismiss me unto death. God, you have fulfilled your promise. You can dismiss me unto death, your servant, in peace. In peace. In wholeness. In the fulfillment of God's promise. Simeon had the assurance that all was as it should be that God was in control despite the existence of sin, of war. Depending on how old Simeon was, he may have been a very small child when Rome, when his people, when his nation came under the control of Roman authority. And so his whole life, he has been living under a corrupt governance, an oppressive and abusive governance. And yet we see here, like, even despite that, despite the existence of this corrupt governance, despite the existence of sin and of all the evils in this world, he held the Prince of Peace up and he worshiped God. And he was one of the first on earth to receive the peace that Jesus would bring. 
you know, as the angels sing, you know, uh, glory, glory, peace on earth, like, this is the peace that was coming for him. This is the peace, the fulfillment, the wholeness, that everything would be set right. Like, this is what God's promise to him was, that he would get to see it personally. A personal application of the promises of God fulfilled to him and kept. And that is what Jesus did for him. How is that any different than the personal promises that God has made to each and every one of us through Jesus, that if we would just turn to him, he will keep his word. He will redeem us and he will bring us peace. The peace that is talked about in Romans chapter five, verse one, it says, therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Like Christ came and has made us whole through his works, what he has done, who he is. All of that comes together to formulate the ability of him and him alone to bring us out of sin and death into God's life and light and reunify us with our creator. And that is what has brought peace to Simeon. He trusted God. The spirit was upon him. He was obedient to God. He followed God's word and law. And yet it is the fulfillment and the bringing together of Christ as a promise made to man that brings Simeon completeness, that brings Simeon peace and wholeness so that he is ready to die. God, you can let me go now. You have fulfilled this promise. And we see that furthered here as he then begins to prophesy over Mary and over what will happen with Christ's life. Look at this, verse 33. His father and mother, Mary and Joseph are just standing there. (laughs) They're just standing there. And this guy's holding up their baby and he's saying these immaculate things. And then they were amazed at what was being said about him. And then Simeon, he blessed them. And he told his mother Mary, he said, look, indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed and a sword that will pierce your own soul and that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. This child is destined to cause the rise and the fall of many in Israel the rise and the fall, I begin to look at it. He will be a sign that will be opposed. Jesus, he, what he is promising to Mary is that your son will be the most loved and the most hated, the most redemptive thing and the most uh, damning or most condemning thing that will be on this earth because he is not the judge and yet he has come to bring the judgment, right? He is a sign that will be opposed. He will be the fall and rise of many. Judas Iscariot, he fell while Peter was redeemed. One thief that hung on the cross next to Christ, he believed and yet the other did not and he mocked Christ and one was in paradise with Christ on that day and the other's fate we know would be the opposite. Like many will fall and many will rise. You will be, he will be the symbol and the target. He will be the decision point 
for all of humanity, for all of mankind, from this point onward, there will be a single and clear choice whether they will accept Jesus Christ as he has come and the peace that he offers, the wholeness, the fulfillment, the making of right, or there will be those that will reject him. They will refute him and they will suffer the consequences of that by their own will. So we see the gospel centered here in this prophecy. Indeed, this child is destined to cause the rise and the fall of many, and he will be a sign that will be opposed. But then he makes it very personal for Mary. So personal. Because, you know, up until this point, like Mary has gotten to enjoy this miraculous birth, this promises of God, like God manifesting himself, sending angels, like all of these wonderful and miraculous things, like you are going to bear the child that will be the Messiah. And yet, Simeon comes in with a bit of truth, a hard truth for Mary to bear. But it prepares her for what God has for her because just as God has made promises through the Spirit to Simeon that he has gotten to see come to fruition. Now, through Simeon, through a prophecy given to him by the Spirit, he is sharing with Mary what's going to happen with her. A sword will pierce your own soul. He predicts Mary's suffering. We all speak of how, obviously, how Christ suffered on the cross. But no woman has ever suffered more for the sake of our salvation than the mother that had to stand by and watch her son as he obeyed the father. So just as saw, just as Simeon saw Israel's consolation, just as Simeon was foretold about Israel's consolation, about the coming of the Messiah, about how all will be made right, he knows the suffering and the torment that will pierce the soul of this mother. And yet at the same time, just as the peace that is coming over him, that all that God has promised will be made true. And he knows that even for Mary, in the end, she will be comforted. She will be consoled. Because she will get to see God's promises fulfilled. And she did as her son rose from the grave. So even though she suffered greater than any woman may have ever suffered, how much more was she rewarded and redeemed for that suffering? And so now, the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Like I said earlier, this is a decision point. The coming of Christ is a decision point for all of humanity. Whether we will trust in obedience the fulfillment of God's promises or if we will stray and oppose this wonderful and miraculous sign. The thoughts of our hearts will be revealed one way or the other. So this is the good news of the season for us now with so much uncertainty, even for Mary at this time, even as she trusted God, for so much uncertainty, even for the world, even for Simeon maybe up to this point, like even though he remained faithful and he trusted in the word and the spirit was upon him and despite what he may or may not see, like he trusted that God would keep his promises and keep his word. 
how much greater now seeing all the promises that God has kept up to this point. How much greater now can our faith be of what is promised yet to come? That Jesus will return, that our Messiah will come down, that the trumpets will sound and the sky will split and that all will be made right. Because peace is a thing uh, between nations at this point. It's between people. It's between us and God made possible by Christ. It's a feeling we can have in ourselves when we look at the assurance of what God has promised us. But peace is also one of the main characteristics of the kingdom of Christ, of the kingdom of God that is yet to come and that is yet to reign on this earth. None of us have ever lived a life knowing full peace on this earth. None of us. We have experienced wars and strife and all the tribulation that's going on in our country even today. And yet one day, God will join together. He will bring harmony. He will make whole and he will restore all of creation unto himself. And he will come down and he will live among his people and there will be no more tears. There will be no more weeping and no more death and we will be at peace finally. That is a promise that Simeon was promised that before his death, he would get to see what God had told him about, about salvation, about the coming of the Messiah. And now we are the greater Simeon because we have been promised the same thing, that we will live this eternal life, that we will not see death before we see the coming of our Savior, the coming of Christ, and the coming of his kingdom. How much greater are the promises that we get to enjoy now, live on, and look forward to. Thanks be to God. And so as we get into this Christmas season, all the plays, all the musicals, all the presents, all the Hallmark Christmas movies, like all the things, all the things you, whatever you may enjoy this time of year, I hope you enjoy them well. But I hope you enjoy them with the same peace in your spirit and the same peace in your heart that Simeon experienced on that day. That despite everything else wrong in this world, despite everything that is going wrong and the wars and the tribulations and the issues and the sin, that you can be at peace because of the promises of God. That you can be at peace because of the spirit that dwells within you that you would not let sin drag you away from that, that you would remain righteous and devote fearing God. And then we can follow in Simeon's example and in the greater example that Christ set for us. It's Terry, if you'll come up. Let us stand and let us worship. 483, the Savior is waiting. Number 483.
Father God, as we reflect on, as we reflect on your word, God, I pray that each of us would take time to ask ourselves, is it well with my soul? God, can we say that in truth? God, it's such a time of year where there can be so many distractions. There can be so many things vying for our, our time, fighting for our attention, for our devotions, for our affections. God, let us not be drawn away from you. God, let us grow even closer, understanding that you, you are above all of these things. God, the things we think that matter, you are greater. God, the things that we deem as important, you are more so. You have given us life, and you have given us new life all because of your love for us. God, you desire for us to live in peace, peace with you, peace with one another, peace in our hearts, God. Help us to receive that peace. Help us to find the areas of strife, the areas of worry and of war in our lives. And God, let us turn them over to you. God, draw out the sin in our life. Let it not separate us from you. Draw out the fear in our life. Let us just trust in you. God, thank you for the gift of the Spirit. Let us listen. And let us obey as it teaches and as it guides. God, open up your word to us in our hearts that we may understand. God, give us your word in a greater way so that we may grow and be fed by it. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for my shepherding. God, help me. God, let us enjoy a season and a time where we get together with our families. Let us remember that we are all now one family. And God, let us just rejoice in your house today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. We'll see some of y'all tonight for play practice and the rest of you on Wednesday.